Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Can you believe this? Say it with your chest. Looking to push tempo here, the Pelicans. What the Pell is up? Everybody, this is Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans with your host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Before we get started, make sure you subscribe and or follow, depending on where you're listening to this podcast. Make sure you leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts if you're listening over there. And you tell a friend about today's episode because... In today's episode, I'm joined by Ali Cosell, editor-in-chief of The Bird Rights. Today, we are talking the coaching search, much of what we've been doing a lot lately. That Ty Lue interview, and if Ali's heard anything about how well that went, who is Ali's top choice and some other factors going into who the Pelicans and David Griffin go for in the coaching search this offseason. So here is my conversation with Ali Cosell, editor-in-chief of the bird rights. And we're joined by editor-in-chief of the bird rights, SB Nation's Pelicans affiliate, Ali Cosell at Ali Cosell on Twitter. Ali, how you doing today? I'm doing great, man. As I was just telling you <laughs> before we got on the air that the weather in New Orleans has become spectacular. This is what every New Orleanian, uh, anybody in the South really waits for, right? You have six months of summer oppressive heat, and all of a sudden one day it just changes. So we had a cold front come through in the middle of the last or this past week, and I'm about to enjoy my first day in the 70s in a really long time, so I can't wait. <laughs> That's awesome. And like I said when we were off air too, uh, it is not like that in Wisconsin, and I am very jealous, but uh, we'll make it through. We'll make it through. So uh, we just heard Pelicans fans and, and us in the media found out that the Pelicans have officially started formal interviews, spoke with Ty Lue yesterday. Um, you just told me you haven't really heard anything about how that's going yet, and that's kind of to be expected. Yeah, I mean, if one thing we've learned within the first year of David Griffin's uh, tenure here in New Orleans, it's that you don't hear about leaks, right? I mean, nobody knew that Zion Williamson was going to play on uh, January 22nd against the Spurs till pretty much 24 hours beforehand. Or, or actually something close to it. But either way, there's, yeah, there's no leaks within the David Griffin front office. And so if he's not close to Tyron Lue, hasn't made a complete decision yet, and he still has other candidates left to interview, then chances are we're not going to hear anything. So I, I'm guessing that's the kind of the pattern we're in right now. You know, I have a feeling that he had, there was talk, I think, by Andrew Lopez that the Pelicans wanted to meet with about two to three people. Um, and Ty Lue is honestly just the first one. I've got to think that Doc Rivers was going to be another one, but you know he quickly jumped on that Philadelphia job. So it would be interesting to learn who the other two are, or maybe it might be three or four, who knows. But either way, I think he still has to meet with some people. So until he does that, I think we won't get too much clarity on the situation. Right, and we'll talk about those other few candidates later in today's episode. But first off, I know you shared that article on, on Ty Lue from Preston Ellis, but what are your thoughts on Lou? I know I've been pretty clear that he's not my top choice. I'd be all right with it. But how do you feel about Lou being the head man in New Orleans? I would happily accept it. 
Yeah, you're, you're right from the standpoint he's, he's not my top guy either. But you know what? He's far from being a bad choice. Um, where I think it would be maybe with saying going with a Jason Kidd or a Mark Jackson. <laughs> but Ty, Ty Lue has a relationship with David Griffin. You can never look, I think, overlook the importance of having that built-in trust from the start between a head coach and a GM and the whole front office. Because that way, I feel like you can get the ball rolling faster. Number two, he does have a great record, right? I, I know that everybody keeps pointing to, well, he had LeBron James. But guess what? He got LeBron James to buy into a lot of stuff. He would actually approach LeBron and correct him, criticize him when necessary. So if, if you can do it with the best player that we've had for whatever the last 10 years or so in the league, and, of course, the Pelicans have their own young star coming up in Zion Williamson, I think, I think that speaks volumes because a lot of coaches cannot build that relationship with a superstar. So I think that's vital for New Orleans' success, to have somebody that can reach both – not only, I guess, Zion, but maybe perhaps Brandon Ingram and Alonzo Ball, too, because if you look at it, you almost have to treat them specially, too, just with their backgrounds, experience, and where maybe their careers are headed. So I love that from that standpoint. And third, I've just heard nothing but praises about his ability to thank the game and then communicate it to his players. It, it's a rare trait, and I've, I've read a lot of examples from players that he sat with on the bench besides LeBron um jared dudley mentioned him there's been others when he's been when uh lou's been an assistant under doc rivers and everybody just talks about how this guy just gets it. he can communicate he can figure stuff out so i feel like that's all basketball is right nowadays for a head coach it's not so much x's and o's and micromanaging 48 minutes it's really just getting these guys on the right page same page making the tweak and adjustment that's necessary to win a ball game and so I feel like, like I said, Ty Lu checks all those boxes. So I, I, I'd happily take him on board. Right. That, there are two things that you really emphasized there. It was relationships and communication. And those two things are so underrated when we talk about coaching hires in the NBA. A lot of it is where are the X's and O's at? Have they won before, et cetera? But those two things are huge, especially when you've got a really young team like New Orleans. you got a GM like David Griffin. So I think Ty Lue could fit in New Orleans. There's another couple things that I wanted to address on Lou too, is that, well, if, if we're Doc Rivers people out there, if a lot of people wanted Doc Rivers to be hired in New Orleans, I mean, Ty Lue went and coached under Doc Rivers. Like, this is a guy that Doc Rivers clearly respects, clearly wanted on his staff, and he brought him in. You could say the same thing about Sam Cassell as well. And then Ty Lue, I mean, he's pretty underrated for his X's and O's. Richard Jefferson, who played with the Cavs when they won, I believe that he was on that, uh, that team that won the title in 2016. He said that Ty Lue was probably the second best coach he's had in terms of X's and O's, and the first best was Greg Popovich. So you can't really get much better than that. No, you're right. And I, I also wrote down a favorite quote of mine, and it came from Doc Rivers talking about Ty Lue. And he said, Ty's gift is his humility. I wish I could be calm like him. That's how he's always been, no matter how difficult the situation is. You know, I mean, there's so much pressure in professional sports, especially at whether you're the star or the, the head coach, you know, key positions. So I, I, think, I think that's vital. And, you know, what, what, what you touched on, I think, cannot be overlooked. Ty Lu was underneath, I think, Doc Rivers at three different stops, right, in Boston. Then when Doc first went to Los Angeles, then, of course, Ty got hired in Cleveland. Uh, as an assistant coach before becoming the head coach. And, of course, he went back to Doc Rivers when that uh, tenure ended. And so he's picked up a lot. And people say that Doc is a master of knowing how to push uh, players' buttons. 
You know, I think there's nothing, I'm telling you, there's nothing more important than being able just to get on the same page as your core guys. And so if that's what he maybe picked up from Doc, then Ty Lue's got the knowledge. And like I said, we have no reason to believe otherwise because look at the success he had in Cleveland, right? It's not just he just won one title. I feel like he made a team that was, you know, not – I don't think they even had remotely the talent level of the Golden State Warriors, but the way that team got to buy in, and that's what David Griffin's looking for, you know, I'm sold. So, yeah, I mean, I think Ty Lue, those that don't give him a chance, I really don't understand why, right? I, because if you're a fan of Doc Rivers or if you're a fan of any kind of coach with experience, why are you overlooking a guy that actually has had that success and has had the accomplishments and the praises of really everybody he's uh, encountered? Exactly. And there's two other things that I just thought of off the top of my head, too, to, to add to the positivity. Because we've had so much negativity on this podcast, as of late, Ollie, right, just because, so, yeah. <laughs> because of the coaching search. So, got to get some, some more in there. Is that one, there's clear accountability with Ty Lue. And we just haven't had that with Alvin Gentry. And in the NBA and in grown man sport, you got to have that. I mean, we just can't have, I don't think our energy was a problem tonight. It just, we just can't have that anymore. Uh, what, like what Gentry said in the bubble. And the other thing is uh, Lou obviously commanded respect, but he also wasn't the overarching tyrannical leader to where he let LeBron lead at the same time when he would like, he let his leaders lead, but he also spoke with his leaders when they needed to be spoken to. So he, it's, it's a really unique ability to read the room and to tailor the room to what you want to do and, and towards success. Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I feel like the hierarchy of power is a very fine balancing act. And usually, you know, the, the players run the league. Everybody knows that. That's why you see Kyrie Irving or whoever is kind of, you know, I don't want to say a malcontent or anything like that, but it's just very set in their ways and their beliefs. And he, he just really, it's hard for that particular player or person to deviate from them. It's difficult to work with and control people like that, but yet they exist in every workplace, right? There's some people with such supreme confidence, or maybe it could be ego, but either way, you're right. You need somebody that's going to be a balancer when key decisions are going to be made. And, of course, you usually want that to be with your head coach because, let's face it, he's, he's the one that's actually pushing the buttons that can get people motivated, can do all sorts of things that can make a team successful. So, yeah, I feel like Ty Lue definitely – has all that he has it let's say now speaking of doc rivers in that first question he was just hired in philadelphia really the the 76ers hopped on that and and so did rivers in terms of taking that position what were your first thoughts there were you disappointed that the pels weren't able to grab him this offseason yeah, I was. If you notice in our group chats, I think I was higher on doc rivers than most i wasn't saying calling him some savior or like the best candidate out there but I just feel like if, if you're looking for buy-in, I'm, I'm just trying to put myself in David Griffin's shoes and looking what he basically wants. But if your number one thing is buy-in, there's nobody that's going to get more of that on day one than Doc Rivers, right? All he's got to do is walk in the gym because his reputation precedes him. Every, every young player growing up, I don't care if you were a rookie last year, you know who Doc Rivers is. And you watch what this man did in the bubble, right, for social justice. I mean, he is the face of, I, I feel like, the whole Black Lives Movement on behalf of the NBA outside of, you know, the players. It, it is Doc Rivers. So I, I just feel like this guy would have just reached, reached the players on day one. And that's what David Griffin wants. And I feel like he's right about that. 
it's been rare to see the buy-in that I feel like is necessary in New Orleans. Ever since I've really watched the team, I feel like, for them to be successful. And so it's always been a major problem because this is not a destination city. It goes beyond just the players you have or maybe your history. You, you've just got to understand just the way the dynamics of the NBA work. I mean, Anthony Davis soured a lot quicker than people realize. You know, there's a reason why Chris Paul wanted out. So th there's all these forces always at play that you've got to overcome. But I feel like, boy, you can get rid of them quick if you get something like, say, Doc Rivers coming in through your door to where you know he's been in the playoffs 17 of his 21 seasons, where you know how, I mean, opposing players, the Giannis's of the world praise this guy, right? So, of course, that's why I wanted him. He's, he's, and he's not a bad coach, right? I just mentioned his record. And everybody wants to point to all those 3-1 losses. But, boy, you just want – I feel like for New Orleans, the next step is just putting yourself into that position. And I feel like Doc Rivers easily would have done that for this team and, and, and this franchise. Right. And I think the people who were anti-Doc Rivers were afraid of the – Trans, him being a transitionary coach toward he gets them to regular playoff appearances but once you know Zion and BI reach that elite level and they put pieces around them to make a championship run they won't be able to do it because of Doc Rivers because of the inability to finish in the fourth quarter because of those 3-1 comebacks no I know and some of that I guess is justified because right you want to look bigger picture you've got a, the superstar of the future maybe the best player in the league for I don't know, however many years he stays healthy, right? Because Zion's capabilities seem unlimited. But here's, here's my argument. I feel like just when you look at the teams that Doc Rivers had failed with, especially in those three ones, I see flaws. You know, this past year, I mean, Montrez Harrell came out, what was it, like January or February, talking about and mentioning to the public about the problems that were inside that locker room, right? People were wondering, why is Los Angeles not taking off? Why are the Clippers, you know, winning some games, losing some? Where was the continuity in terms of just being able to string together 10 wins? It never happened. Then Montrez made his comments. And then, of course, we saw kind of just the disaster that was their playoff showing. And I'm sorry, but, boy, Lou Williams was a complete zero. And Paul George seemed to be struggling with some kind of mental issues where he was having trading, you know, good games with bad games. And at first it started off being a lot of poor performances, right? In that first round against the Mavericks, boy, I think at least four or five those games were just he, – he just didn't have it. And so, really, I felt like it was just quiet because Montrez Harrell, who was close to what, like an 18-9 and nine guy or whatever he put up for regular season, he just was a 10-7 and seven guy in the playoffs. So, if all of a sudden you're four key guys, you're only getting the regular contributions from one, you're going to be in trouble. And when you looked at the advanced stats, I read some uh, an article by Kevin Pelton over on ESPN. He said that the Clippers got much better shots, the quality of shots – than the Nuggets did, but they just made far less of them. So, you know what? I don't know how you can blame Doc Rivers for that. Yeah, maybe he could have made an adjustment here or made a rotation there. But in the end, what do they always say for NBA coaches to do? You ride your horses. You go with your best players. And if they fail, then you have to fail. Because otherwise, if you suddenly go and switch it up and go with a whole bunch of other guys, put your stars on uh, during key minutes on the bench, you're going to – create a whole host of problems for down the road. So I just felt like he was a known situation with this team. And with the Clippers, the, uh, the what was it? His, his first season, I think, what was it? 14, 15, something along those lines. His first two years, they had a really good team. There's no doubt. But people now looking back say that team just did not have the chemistry. 
right? I have heard about how Jared Dudley mentioned he went, went out to dinner in Los Angeles, saw one of his teammates and wanted to go up and say hi, and he got totally uh, brushed off, right? He wouldn't even be acknowledged by whoever this teammate was. I, you know, if I had to guess, maybe it was DeAndre Jordan or Blake Griffin. I don't know. But either way, that just shows you exactly how that team was. Because on the court, they were fine, but there was definite issues with that team. And people have written also how they didn't have a closer. So what I'm trying to point out is, basically in this long-winded argument, <laughs> is those teams were flawed. People don't want to look past it, but there were flaws in a lot of those 3-1 series losses that Doc endured. It definitely was not all on his shoulders. So you just got to understand, winning is hard in the NBA. And if you honestly don't have just the right mix for whatever reason, you're not going to – basically advance and losing three games isn't that big of a deal, right? If you just look about in the regular season, even bad teams can uh, put together three wins. So it's not unheard of that a good team in a playoff suddenly, even though they're down three, one can win three games to me anyways, from an analytical perspective. So uh, I think I'm done defending Doc Rivers because <laughs> Rob would probably smash me by now, but yeah, we don't have to worry about it. Philly picked right. up a good coach. I'm gonna. I'm very curious to see if he can be the one to unlock Ben Simmons and uh, Joel Embiid. Man, I've been saying it. I really think the only coach in the NBA that could do it was Mike D'Antoni. And I said it. We had a 76 huh. on fairly recently talking the Drew Holiday trade series that we've been doing here on the podcast. And, I mean, D'Antoni is the offensive guru in the NBA, right? I mean – Right, he, but that's a lot of misfitting pieces, I guess, is what I'm getting at, right? Al right. Horford. And Tobias Harris isn't even the best of three-point shooters because he's just not a volume guy. But, no, I mean, that's a curious stance. Yeah. I think they would have had to made a lot of trades to make it work under D'Antoni, but maybe you were thinking that too. Sure. Well, I mean, I think that the, the team was so defensive, I mean, oriented. I mean, they just basically had no shooters. Right. So, I think, obviously, they would have had to make, make some trades, probably would have had to do a salary dump trade for Horford and try to acquire some young shooters or something. But – I really think that, that D'Antoni is the only guy who could have figured that out. I like Rivers. I think he would have been a good fit in New Orleans. And I've been making a lot of excuses for him, too. So we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. But I think that Rivers is good in terms of, like you said, communication and demanding – not demanding, but commanding respect in a locker room. But And I think that's really good for, like, a New Orleans type of team who's on the come up. I don't know that he's the fit for the Sixers, but uh, we'll see, I guess. Yeah, people just really need to understand one thing. Coaches, I don't care um, what you think of their knowledge from a fan's perspective. I'll just tell you, every single guy in the NBA is smart as heck. Alvin Gentry knew everything. He knew what needed to be done on, in this situation, that situation. All it comes down to is, honestly, it is buying. It is, will your players listen to what you're saying? and then execute it on the floor, and then kind of develop a consistency. And, and, and you know, that, and you basically that's how you build good habits. And these are all words that I'm using is not coincidental because David Griffin mentioned them. And so I think just Alvin Gentry had finally completely lost sight of the team. And I think any coach, you know, honestly, that's capable of happening. But with Doc Rivers, boy, like, like I said, buy-in is the most crucial thing, and he easily would have been, I think, the top choice in any locker room of commanding it from day one. So that's why, I, like I said, that's why I was so in favor of him. And I think that's why I know people often give retreads, coaching retreads in the NBA, a hard time. But honestly, reputation is very important, right? If you're a 20, 21-year-old, think about that for a second. You, you live the life of if you got to the NBA, you basically – 
gotten there because of your talent. You know, people want to say that they've worked hard here and there, but that's really not true. So <laughs> you, you really just have lived in your own little world, and then somebody's going to eventually have to smack you in the face when you hit the league because there's so few LeBrons that come in and basically can still keep and stay at that level where they're just so much better than everybody else. So sooner or later, you're going to have to work with teammates, listen to coaches. And like I said, communication, man, that's where it has, is, is at with coaches. So that's why I just want to see the Pelicans bring in somebody that you feel comfortable knowing that, hey, Zion, B.I., Lonzo, the rest of the crew, they're going to listen to. Yep, exactly. So with all of those characteristics stated about Doc Rivers that we like, you recently put together an article about the remaining coaches left in the bubble that the Pels could interview, could be one of these two, three, four guys that Griffin's looking to speak with here in the near future. At the time, it was during the Western Conference and Eastern Conference finals. So coaches from four teams, the, the Celtics, the Nuggets, the, the Lakers, and the Heat. I don't think you had a Lakers member on, in the article. but of <laughs> I those, wanted Jason Kidd. Like right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of those named in the article – did you have a favorite? I did. Jay Laranega. He's uh, 45 years old, been in Boston, assistant coach for a long time. I think like eight or nine years, something like that. Long time, but you know what? Coaching's in his family's genes because his dad, for those that don't know, Jim Laranega, he's been basically a college coach and a very successful one for what, about 40, maybe 50 years. And even at our own Antonio Daniels, he played under him at Bowling Green. So the Laranegas, they're like a little small-time uh, basketball gold, I, I want to say, like a family, right? So I, I just feel like Jay, he's come close to getting an NBA head coaching position. That, that really happened almost two years ago with the Charlotte Hornets. But he's been interviewed for the top spot multiple times. But what I like about him is he, number one, understands the game thoroughly. Number two – you, you can tell he's got that ability with players because I read this one fantastic article. I wish I remembered the author's name or where it was, but it had to do with how he spent one summer with Marcus Smart and just trying to help him develop a shot. And the article went into depth about how they butted heads a lot and how Marcus is, you know, basically not wanting to listen or get up one day um, or listen, like I said, to whatever Larinaga is offering as advice. But you know what? They made it work. They spent a whole offseason and suddenly Smart became a much better shooter. And since that time, I mean, just look at the way Marcus Smart has blossomed, right? He came in the league as a Tony Allen, just all defense. I'm not going to give you nothing on offense. But if you watch him in these last playoffs, this guy was actually the, their leading scorer for, you know, quarters, halves, and had some games where he was, you know, shooting about eight, nine, ten threes and making, what, like four, five, six of them, right? So this guy's really become a complete player, and I feel like that's all due to Laranega. So if you can get through to a type like that, man, I have no issues about entrusting you on doing the same with the Pelicans roster. So like I said, there's a lot of good names out there. I want people to understand that. This isn't where, oh, my God, you're fighting for scraps on grabbing a good coach. No. Among the guys that we've mentioned, there's a host of assistant coaches, and that's why I made, looked into that article. And so I think we should be happy with almost any choice, honestly, that David Griffin makes because I feel like, honestly, when he looks at everybody's pros and cons, a lot of good things jump out at you. I just feel like this league has become so competitive. It's not just with the players. It's not just with the way front offices are run, where analytics and all this, finding that little slight edge on your opponent – has really just gone away. It's also happened within the coaching ranks, right? To stay in the league, you've got to really be worth something. And so 
I, I just feel like there's a lot of good talent. But Jay Laranega, among those that when were in the final four, as you just ran down, he's easily my favorite. The other coaches mentioned in that article are West Unseld Jr., Jordy Fernandez, Dan Craig, and Chris Quinn. If you want to check out that article, it will be in the description of today's podcast. Ollie killing it as always on those articles. I know that Denver has been a big talking point for the Drew Holiday trade situation. Do you think that should the Pelicans go out and hire Wes Unsell Jr., that it would be more likely because Jr. would want to go out and get guys that he knows, like <laughs> one of uh, another podcast favorites, Bull Bull? You know, I don't think that's a bad thought because I honestly thought that if Kenny Atkinson gets a job, hey, guys, we may have a Brooklyn trade incoming. Because let's face it, Kenny connected with all those players that uh, – were there when he first got there. I'm not talking about Kyrie Irving, DeAndre Jordan, Kevin Durant, but everybody else. And they, they loved him to death. So I feel like if you could grab some of those players in a trade, if you're going to make one, then having Kenny Atkinson as your head guy makes even that much more sense. So your argument for the West Unselled, if they make a deal and send Drew Holiday that way, makes some sense to me, honestly. And besides, West is a good coach, and Denver does have a lot of good young talent. Now, could they pry away somebody more than Bobo? I'm not sure. I know what George Carl said the other day. Hey, I would even be willing to give up Michael Porter Jr. I'm willing to bet that if the Denver organization, their front office, wasn't willing to do that before the last trade deadline in the Drew Holiday trade, I can't imagine they are now. Because let's face it, I mean, MPJ, boy, didn't he explode when he was given the minutes in a lot of these games? Totally, totally. Not the greatest defensively. Also, no, I think he's got that, miles ago. Yeah, he, he should have stayed at Mizzou to, to learn a few things. <laughs> uh, there are some statements that he made in the bubble that were not uh, the most well-informed. Yeah, he's young, right? <laughs> yeah. People want to kill him for it, and I understand this because we live in such a crazy time. I mean, 2020, wow. But you got to understand, MPJ is the kind of talent that GMs are looking for because he really is. On offense, anyways, he flashes superstar. I mean, he can make a bucket from anywhere in the court at his height, and, and he's got a little ball handling, a little passing to his game, and a good rebounder. I'm telling you, he, he could be the total package. Oh, totally, definitely, and he's got a lot to learn yet as well. So I, I, we talked about that with Harrison Wind of the NVR Nuggets, and he believed that they will most likely not be willing to move him. I know a big piece in what could possibly be a Drew Holiday trade, a trade with the Nuggets would be Gary Harris. Not sure how you feel about that, but that's a that might be a topic. Been broken for two about. years. I wish people would stop bringing up that name as a main piece for Drew. It's not going <laughs> to happen, guys. No, sorry, Denver. Denver. I guess it's mostly coming out of Denver, right? Those yeah. type of trade packages. But no, Gary Harris. He was a growing player. I don't know how far back you remember watching him, Elliot, but he looked like he was going to be honestly a pretty good between a role player and a star type of player, right, where he's going to give you on both ends, maybe average about 15 points or so a game and knock down threes. But he can't do that anymore for whatever reason for the last two years. Right. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. Kind of doubt it. But to continue the the coaching talk today, I know Chris Finch just interviewed for, for the Pacers gig, and, and he was originally talked about not super frequently, not a whole lot in, in New Orleans, but talked about in terms of taking over the head coaching position for the Pelicans. Do you think he's still a candidate? And, and are there any other under-the-radar names that we're just not talking about? You know what killed it for Chris Finch, I think, in Indiana? It's when Doc Rivers got fired by Steve Ballmer. Mike D'Antoni was set 
to get that head job at Philly. I mean, I heard all they needed to basically do was bring him in for like some kind of sit down where unless he completely blew it, he was going to be given the job over Ty Lue. But instead, you know, Doc gets let go on Monday. And within an hour, he's on the phone with Elton Brand, and two, Elton Brand, the GM over there in Philly. And then two days later, they're spending the day together, uh, interviewed, watched the game one of the NBA Finals. And they basically like, well, they changed his mind and went with Doc Rivers. So suddenly, I think Mike D'Antoni, he's, I think almost, you know, I'm giving it like 90% that he's going to end up in Indiana. So suddenly, Chris Finch <laughs> obviously isn't going to get that job. But I feel like it shows you what Indiana wants to do. Right, they want to play fast. They want to definitely dial it up after having that defensive coach in Nate McMillan. They want to change things around. So I know that they were high on Mike D'Antoni at first, but I think once they saw that writing was on the wall at one point that he was going to go to Philly, they pivoted and went to Finch. But now it looks like honestly D'Antoni's going to go there. So I don't know where Chris Finch is going to end up. But you're right. You got to look for where these guys that aren't as of a shoe and I guess um, Brighton's for head coaching candidates, the ones that have been assistants forever. Can we see somebody emerge? Because there's still a lot of jobs left, and I do. I, I do believe that somebody may get a um, some good position. And you don't have to look further than the Houston Rockets, right? Aren't they interviewing, I think, David Banterpool, who's a longtime assistant, one that a lot of us coveted for the New Orleans job. So, yeah, I think it'll happen with somebody somewhere. There's a lot of talk in, in terms of that type of – previous coaching position to taking a head coaching position. There's, like you said, Vanderpool, there's Wes Unseld, there's, there's Darvin Ham, who we know Louis Prejean absolutely adores. And I'm not sure he's the biggest fit for in New Orleans, but there's a lot of guys out there like that. So, so keep your eyes open, Pelicans fans. And one of those guys very well who could end up in Houston is, is Sam Cassell. One of my top guys, my other two top guys are who we've talked about a little bit today, Kenny Atkinson and then Jerry Stackhouse. So for you, Ollie, do you have top three guys at the moment? Not really. I mean, for me, it was really just Kenny Atkinson, unless you could get somebody with like a better resume. And of course, Ty Lue has it, but they're like on equal footing for me. But Doc Rivers, I felt like was ahead of it. So that's why I kind of would have been in favor of him getting the job over everybody. I just have lost sense that David Griffin's going to go with the super young guy, given a rookie head coach his first opportunity, simply because I feel like we kind of got the vibe last season what this is all about. They want to win now, and we saw Brandon Ingram blossom into his, uh, an all-star for the first time in his career. Zion Williamson just jumped the league, man. 22 points, eight rebounds a game, but it was his efficiency that tells you, boy, this guy is so consistent from game to game as a rookie in his first 20 years, no training camp, that you suddenly are looking at two cornerstones that are suddenly ready to win now because of those solid contributions on at least one end of the floor. So I feel like going with a rookie head coach and for people that have dreams of doing that and then bringing in a whole bunch more rookies and David Griffin taking the slow, long path in kind of a rebuild, I think they're completely missing the mark. I think Griff is ready to win now because this roster, in a sense, is ready to win now because of their top guys. So that's why I've kind of just been looking with, at more experienced coaches of late. Because, yeah, going back to your question, I was a big fan of saying Vanterpool or Stackhouse, and they were in my top five easy, say about a month or so ago. But now really considering things and looking at things, I think Griff's going to want a little bit more experience. So that's why I've changed my tune as well. And that's why Kenny, I guess Kenny Atkins has risen to the top. Okay. I, and I like Atkinson too. He appears to me in terms of you talk about building versus win now. 
I mean, we've talked a lot, and Atkinson's kind of known as the guy in terms of development. Do you, do you really see him as a win-now kind of guy? No, and I'm glad you're bringing it up because I was going to jump you if you had. <laughs> <to put it. laughs> yeah, no, he does not have a proven record, and that's my biggest concern. Yeah, it's a great story with what he did in Brooklyn, and yes, there's no doubt he has developed players at every stop, I feel like, since he's returned to the NBA from being abroad overseas. But – he has not been that perennial winner. I'm getting your t- or my team into the playoffs, and I feel like Griffin probably wants some of that. So in a sense, he kind of is still basically on the same line as a lot of these assistants, right, these first-timers, these ones without that resume of a Doc Rivers or Mike D'Antoni. So he's not a shoo-in by any stretch of the imagination, I think, for the job. And I think that's why maybe Griffin hasn't hired him, even though, if, say, if he likes him, you would have thought, okay, let, let's grab Kenny now so that some other team doesn't, right? Because he's, he's been sitting on what? On, on, a, on the block since March. I forget when the Nets exactly fired him, but it was right before the pandemic hit. I guess end of February. So if, if Griff wanted him, I mean, he let Alvin go back in August. He, he could have already signed him, but obviously he still probably doesn't think he's the guy. So it'll be curious to see after Ty Lue which names the Pels do interview because I think he's got a tough choice to make. There's not a perfect candidate sitting out there. Right, and if you're looking for an experienced head coach, I mean, other than other than Ty Lue, I don't know where you're going to go. I mean, you talk about Kenny Atkinson just now, and then there's the guys who've coached in the head coaching position before, and Jason Kidd and Mark Jackson, and it's pretty clear that everybody everybody at the Bird Rides doesn't want those guys. We had a conversation with Syrit Satsas of uh, Warriors 24 podcast, and he feels a little bit differently, but... I'm not sure where they're going to go if, if they're really in a win-now position and decide to go with somebody other than Ty Lue or, or if Ty Lue gets hired elsewhere. Yeah, because here, here's the thing. You can go with a young guy, and let's, let's touch on this now. You can hire the rookie head coach. Then it becomes with filling out the rest of the, rest of the coaching staff, which becomes vitally important. That's what maybe Griffin may be up to now, saying, so if we go with this guy, right, who has not led a team to even a playoffs – who do we put around him to ensure kind of that success to where he can maybe be helped alongside with his weaknesses by, you know, whoever else we bring in to sit on that bench with him. So I, I know that's, that was kind of actually Demp's thinking when he brought Alvin Gentry back, uh, what was it, 2015? Look, everybody knows Alvin's a great offensive mind, but he didn't have the defensive, you, you know, acumen to basically be a well-rounded coach. But that's why he brought in Darren Ehrman, who at the time, was one of the best, most highly regarded defensive assistants. So that, that, that kind of marriage worked, at least on paper. It didn't, obviously, in theory. But you've seen it work other places, right? Steve Kerr to where, you know, Steve did not have a lot of expertise with X's and O's. So they brought in Alvin Gentry on one side. And then, uh, got it slipping my mind for a second, but a famous um, defensive guy, long-time in the league. Help me out, Ellie, if you're remembering. Ron, uh, I want to say, I can't remember his last name, but anyways, they brought in coach? two of the best. Who was that? Who did he coach? Uh, he he's, he's a defensive coach still with the Warriors, but he's been, you know, around the league for 30 years. Yeah, I couldn't tell he's you. The, <laughs> yeah, he's one of the brightest minds on the defensive side of the ball, but either way, can't believe it's escaping me. But either way, that's what I think maybe Griff's doing now, because you don't have that, look, Doc Rivers higher out there, and especially if you don't get Ty Lue, then you've got to think about how you're going to put together those building blocks of the coaching staff to basically fill in for wh- whatever weaknesses you do bring in at that top spot. For sure. I'm thinking the uh, name for that Warriors coach is Ron Adams. 
That's it. All Thank right. You. Yeah. Okay. There we go. <laughs> so in, in terms of getting the, the guys on the bench, getting the, the assistant coaches, do you think they, they reach out to the current staff? I mean, obviously it'd be awesome to retain Fred Vinson. Uh, Chris Finch has been around for a little while. He's a really great offensive mind, especially should the Pels hire a defensive oriented head coach. Do you think that's a possibility? Oh, for sure. I, I know that Griff didn't say it or misspeak during the Alvin Gentry uh, dismissal press conference on how much he accoladed the uh, developmental staff. You know, Fred Vinson all year round has rightfully gotten that praise for the, you know, with Lon his work with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram. So you've got to think he's a shoe in the comeback. And I've heard, you know, Joe Boylan got mentioned by name by Griffin. There's a few others. So I think without a doubt, they will bring back those guys. Because like, let's face it, these young players are familiar with those coaches. Plus they enjoy some success. And there's a lot of things we don't see behind the scenes. Like, so for people saying that Hayes didn't explode or Nikhil Alexander, well, we don't know how much they did improve behind the scenes with these coaches, but I'm guessing a fair amount. It's like I said, Griff went out of his way to praise him. So they'll return. But Chris Finch is the interesting one. If he doesn't get a top job somewhere, will he come back here? And especially say you bring in a defensive minded coach like a Wes Unsell Jr., somebody else, maybe a David Vanterpool, then you would want somebody like a Chris Finch sitting next to them for the offense. But, you know, I'm not certain. You know, if you had to ask me straight up, I can see Chris Finch possibly leave to go up to Toronto because he and Nick Nurse are really good friends. And I know that the Toronto tried to pry him away. Was it, I think it was just last summer, maybe two summers ago now. But, yeah, I, but you want to keep him. You want to keep certain guys because, like I said, they really are good at their job. Don't look at what the Pelicans did overall on their record. Look at what they did or have done um, over the course of their tenures. And Chris Finch is honestly regarded as one of the best and brightest offensive minds. So I could see him being a huge and important piece if you do bring in a rookie head coach. Now, to go a little bit different trajectory, we've been talking a lot about coaches on today's podcast. The, the notion of a win now really changes a lot of things versus build uh, for, for the Pelicans and, and what they want to do this offseason what do you think they need to do? What do you think they should do this, this offseason in order to really build towards that win-now perspective this coming season? In terms of hiring, in terms of – well, obviously, we've, we've just talked about that. But in terms of free agency, the draft, uh, do, do they trade Drew Holiday? I mean, does that really help them win now? Yeah, okay. So this is going to be the biggest key for David Griffin because I know he announced um, – right when he first got the job here in New Orleans, of, of kind of his blueprint. And you know who he pointed to which team? It was the Golden State Warriors. His whole thing is about, I want to get a group, a good solid core together, and keep them together for a while so that they can grow. But they've got to learn how to uh, win together in meaningful basketball games. So you got to surround them with enough of that, enough of that help in, in veterans. And we saw that plan exactly to a team this past year, I thought, where he maintained or kept Drew Holiday, and brought on board J.J. Redick and Derek Favors. Now the question, of course, is look at the success they enjoyed last year, which was, you know, few and far in between. I know they had a nice stretch there, but Derek Favors is getting a lot older. And J.J. Redick, he's just really a piece off the bench. And, of course, Drew Holiday, you look at his contract, can you still keep him for another year or two, or, or you could possibly even risk losing him for nothing. So these are all the questions he's probably thinking to himself, do I run it back with basically all these guys? Or should I go in another direction? But then I have to replace them with other, you know, good 
uh, a supplementary type of help, kind of like these guys were, because we know what the core is. It's BI and Zion. And I think there's a good chance Lonzo is still in that group. And of course, Nikhil and Jackson Hayes. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious, but I honestly think that Griff's probably going to move on. You got to think that JJ Redick talking about how I've got maybe two, three years left in the league and I want to win a championship. I want to win a ring. I don't think New Orleans is going to get there in, within that time frame. You know, even though I'm talking about how they kind of want to win now, well, there's still so many steps they got to take to get to the level that Reddick's at to where he's like, okay, I want a ring. Now, the Pelicans still have to get first, you know, some consistency, start making some playoffs and taking their lumps, say, in the first or maybe second round. And by then, Reddick's career is going to be over. So that's why I think J.J. may want out. He knows from, you know, he was good to get on board last year. The Pelicans offered him the most money. He, they gave him a great role. And he probably thought that, hey, this could be a fun team. We could probably win a lot of games, but didn't work out that way. So I could see him wanting out. Same thing with Drew. He's now 30, and he's got to be thinking about he's going to get one last good contract. And with so many young guys that are going to become focal points here, how does he fit into that? And as we saw, he was given the reins at the start of the year, and he didn't really grab them, right? The team needed him to be that face of the franchise and win a lot of games down the stretch, and he just didn't come through because he's not that guy. But still, he's a very good player that can help another team. So I just think Griffin's going to take a very analytical approach to this and just, at the end of the day, come to the determination that I think he's going to have to move on. I don't know whether that happens this offseason or maybe up until leading up to the next trade deadline. But I think, yeah, the days are numbered for both Drew, J.J., and likely Derek Favors, too. I mean, he, he this guy looked like a shell of himself, didn't he, Elliot? Oh, we saw, yeah. yeah. What we saw in Utah was not the guy we saw last year at any point. You know, he never got healthy enough or got mentally right, physically right. And I just don't think he's capable. I think, honestly, he's played in the league so long that it's now kind of become chronic with him, right? His body is just broken down. So I don't know how Griffin's going to work that, replace that, but I think he's going to do it. But when, when we talk about win now, people just need to understand that doesn't mean you sacrifice all your assets to basically get as far as you can for this season. No. Griffin has stated, like I mentioned at the start of this long rant, He's going to copy that Golden State Warrior model where instead of just having you guys take lumps and then suffer a really bad losing season, probably start tuning out or wanting out, he wants to give them enough firepower around them to where they do have some success, to where they are building and, and stay with it, right? Just like the Golden State Warriors did. Right. Right. It will be interesting to see what happens with those older guys who are on the roster this coming year. I, I tweeted about J.J. Reddick's confidence. And I just I just this team needs a bona fide, full on veteran leader. And that's just not who J.J. is. I think he's would be excellent in terms of being complimentary to a leader. But looking at him and saying you be the leader of this team, it, it just won't happen. Yeah, I think honestly, at this point where we're at, I don't think you can even bring one in. Because it's going to be Zion's team, and he's going to share that platform with B.I. and maybe Lonzo if we're lucky. So you can't all of a sudden bring in somebody and say, okay, I want you to be the leader, but only for a year or two. That's not how it works. And it's, first of all, it's really hard to get somebody of that caliber of talent in, into a small market anyways. And I feel like Drew was given that chance, but you know, he didn't run with it. So now I think they're stuck with trusting the young guys, but you've got to surround them with, I think, a bunch of J.J. Reddicks. I think J.J.'s great for what he is. But you're right, he's not a starter. He's not going to be your leader within a whole quarter or, 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 or that type of mentality where he can just basically like, I'll, I'm going to put you guys on my shoulder. No, he, he's a great player for what he does. 
but he, he doesn't have enough to where he can do that. So I don't know how he does it, honestly, because the cap is going to probably be pushing the Pelicans to make some really hard decisions. And, you know, money is finite as is talent in this league. So it's going to be wild to see how he does it. I'm just curious if we're going to be in for another kind of a tough year in terms of where we're going to be scrapping for the playoffs, just simply because he can't bring in the amount and the caliber of uh, teammates that these young guys are going to need. Oh, you're stressing me out, Ollie. <laughs> I'm sorry, man, but you have to keep a perspective, right? I mean, it's so hard to make a jump in this league. You have, have a lot of things go right. You do. You do. Now, the last time we did interact on on Twitter was was talking about basically I'm still I have a big part part of me that's still freaking out a little bit about the the fact that the Pels have not hired a head coach yet because the this three months is going to come up fast as the season next season already approaches and the NBA finals are, are beginning to come to a close. Can you summarize for us, for, for Pelicans fans, why you're not worried about the current state of things in terms of the coach hiring process? Yeah, it boils down to two things. One, this COVID is definitely going to push back the start of the 2021-22 season, or 2021. I'm already jumping ahead, um, <laughs> to at least the middle of January. So there's no rush. Remember when they first made the announcement, man, boy, it looks like we're going from the finals to the start of training camp within a month. But I thought that was not practical. And certainly looking back on it, it wasn't. Because the latest we've heard from the commissioner is the fact that, yeah, at best, sometime in the middle of January, and he's, he's even hinted that we're going to push it back even further if that means we can have fans in all games, which I think is probably going to be the thing, right? If the vaccine gets close, the NBA's going to wait because we know how important it is to get those fans and their revenue for this league. So they're willing to wait. So there's no rush from that standpoint, suddenly need to fill post because the Pelicans are going to be playing tomorrow. I don't think it's going to happen. Second thing is Pelicans were never going to, they were never the top spot for the top choices among coaching candidates. So when you see them waiting, they're hoping to grab a Tyloo or Doc Rivers or somebody along those lines. But so you've got to wait, but obviously if it doesn't work out that way, you're going to end up where you're probably going to end up anyways, reaching or grabbing a Kenny Atkinson or whoever else they fancy. So I feel like you're not losing anything by, you know, by how much we've been waiting since Alvin got fired. Right. So we'll see what happens. But there's two things here before we go. Angie Thomas just followed me on Twitter. So I'm officially a part of the Pelicans fam, I think. You are. Yeah. <laughs> She's fantastic. We've had her on a podcast a few times, and as you've noticed, she interacts with all Pelicans fans. She really has become kind of the Drake here in New Orleans, and it's <laughs> awesome to see, man. I switched over to uh, the, the Twitter tab here on my screen as, as we were talking because I saw I had a notification, and I was like, what? Fangirling a little bit, so I'm pretty excited about that. But, Ollie, you're the man. Really appreciate you stopping by. Let us know. How do we follow you on Twitter? Let's uh, – have you been on any other podcasts as of late? I know you, you joined Word with G on ESPN 1420 here and there, but any other way we can we can listen to you? Yeah, I mean, whenever we just do a podcast. But, yeah, I try and usually tweet out wherever I'm going to be, whether it's on radio here in New Orleans or Baton Rouge or wherever. I mean, I've done a bunch of ESPN all over the country, done some out-of-country stuff with New Zealand, Israel before. So it's it's out there. But – you don't want to listen to me too much, man. As you notice, I like to talk for a long time <laughs> to answer certain questions once in a while. Hey, man, you're always great at it. So, Ali Cosell, at Ali Cosell on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ali. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. Take care, guys. This is going to all get figured out soon here in New Orleans, and we're going to be ecstatic and excited about the future once more. <laughs>